AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 10th, 2018. You're listening to the finest poker cast ever, ever published on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> I'm Scott Long. It sounds like we're a fine scotch now. I, we are. We're a fine. single malt. Yes. Did did you say that with like a pipe coming out of your mouth and uh, <laughs> sitting in a big leather chair? With a, I got one of those red velvet, you know, uh, smoking jackets on and <laughs> puffing. Surrounded by many leather bound volumes. <laughs> the fireplace in the background crackling. <laughs> we got a lot of different topics today. I thought it, uh, it yeah, deserved kinda, a better entry. Kind of all over the board here. So. Yeah. Let's start with uh, like an issue one, and then we have fun coming up, right? Right, so, right. All right, so Snoqualmie Casino in Washington closed its poker room this week, but not before a decision that players uh, say was unfair to them. When the casino announced that it was closing the room, it accelerated its jackpot triggers, but briefly continued to take a jackpot rate during each hand, and also said any funds remaining in its jackpot fund when the room closes would be awarded at the ultimate Texas Hold'em games in the casino pit. So... All right, so they closed on August 2nd. I haven't seen an update on how much money was left. Uh, they said the day before that it was less than 30000 So ultimately not the worst thing it could have been. But, uh, but yeah, this is a very uh, untypical way of forcing out your jackpot. I know. And one of the things that this reminded me of was years ago when we used to f- uh, record the show at the radio station, we had a, a – a fan write in and ask us about if something was unethical and we sort of drifted into the illegal kind of things and we started to say you know it's not illegal it's unethical this is clearly one of those cases to me where it's unethical um and while you're following the rules uh, of legality as the story that i read um you know explains to me, I just thought this was completely unethical, and they should have thought long and hard about what they're going to do about that money and get it back to those players. Let me ask you, couldn't they have just done a free roll on August 2nd for whatever was left and said, come enter, and one day they just deal out a tournament for everybody for that money? Well, there's lots of things you can do. Um, uh, this is not one that I've seen done before, though I'm sure it has. But, uh, but two issues. One, one was that they kept taking a jackpot. Yeah. You know, once once you say you're closing the room, um, you need to force out your your jackpot money, and it makes it harder to force it out when you're still taking it. And there's really no reason for them to to take it at that point if they're trying to force it out, right? I mean, right. it's that you know, they don't make any rake off that. The rake is separate from that, so. There's no real financial incentive there, so that that's the big head scratcher. Unless, um, and I try not to think people were devious, unless there's proof of it, unless they were really trying to prop up this pit game <laughs> and they, by putting more jackpot money in there. But even that, I don't even know how you do it. So it, it just seems like it was um, very sloppy, just not thought through well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of uh, uh, getting it out, it sounded like they eventually got around to it by, you know, they said accelerating, making it easier to hit jackpots, so the money got um, won more quickly, so they got down to the end. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, you, you've got to find a way to force it all out. So what some rooms do is, you know, you, you might end it with a high hand, you know, the highest hand of the day gets whatever's left or... But, you know, it, it depends on what your internal um, regulations are and what you can do with the jackpot fund. But, um, you know, in some places, yeah, you can run a free roll tournament, and that would be one way of doing it is, you know, hey, two hours left in the room or, or whatever. I mean, if you if you quit taking the jackpot rig at that point, I mean, you can set a tournament 
four hours before the room closes. <laughs> for yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, now there's not any real financial benefit to the casino to do it that way, but that's the fair thing to do, I would think. So um, it's just very awkward and very weird that they, they chose to do both of these things this I way. Mean, yeah, and it's like, yeah, okay, so it's not financially beneficial to the casino, but hey, you're closing the room and you're taking our money. It's not about you now. It's about the players and about not ticking them all off because they're still within driving distance of your casino, and a lot of them still play blackjack and other games. They're still going to want to go to your casino, but if they resent what you've done or basically stolen their money ethically, then they're not going to want to return there. So you'd think you'd want to not have this sort of headache you know, or PR nightmare. Um, well, yeah, and that was one of the things that some of the players mentioned is that, you know, they they would have thought, you know, of course, you never know what people stay and what they actually end up doing, right? But right. Uh, some said that, you know, hey, I am more than a poker player, but, you know, now that you've shown me how you handle this situation, I, I don't feel comfortable that you can handle other situations, so I'll take my blackjack and my slot money to another casino. So that, that's unfortunate, um, but that's, again, that's what... That's why you should think this through. It, it kind of seems to me, and I, I, you know, I have no inside knowledge of this at all. But it kind of seems to me that this is kind of what happens when you have casino executives that really one don't care about poker and two don't know poker, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's probably very likely that this could have been a decision that someone made without thinking of any of this. None of this stuff would even come to that person, right, in their mind, and are probably dumbfounded that there's this these people complaining about it because it doesn't make any sense to them, right? Um, but it should. It should make sense to them, and that's what's unfortunate. But if that's if that's what happened, it's probably really good for players that the poker room's closed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there has to be a manager in place, right? Isn't that... I mean, the manager well, well, would know. I mean, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just a matter of, but I don't know, you know how well he or she was trained in this. You know, you know, there's lots of poker rooms around the country being run out of the pit, um, which yeah. is always a situation. I mean, none of those rooms are, are ever... Uh, I, I don't want to say they're they're all bad or they're not good, but they're they, they could they would be better run by a poker executive rather than a casino executive. But um, so you know who knows who knows really what 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 happened here. I mean, I, I guess the the good news is that it ended up not being that much money in the end. It sounded like so, but yeah, we'll never know. Maybe maybe it's a lesson to all the rooms out there. Maybe this is something that'll be in their uh, national gaming convention breakout sessions <laughs> don't do what Kwame did when you're ready to shutter your poker room do it this way and, and then people will learn from it so and then all. the and then the ultimate insult uh, insult putting in ultimate texas hold'em as if that's like the same thing well again you know? this almost makes me think that it, it was this executive again, trying yeah. to say it wasn't nefarious but it, it that that almost adds more credence to my theory here that it was just a casino person going well you know hey those poker players it's texas hold'em it's texas hold'em what's the difference yep, exactly <laughs> You know, and when there's a very stark difference between the two. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I can sit there and sit there going, okay, well, we're going to close the poker room, but we still offer poker. <laughs> and then be like scratching their head when players walk out of the poker room and get in the car and go and <laughs> walk right past that because it's not, not the same. So. Uh, just just give it to, you know, to craps because, you know, there there are numbers on the board. There, you know, that's the same <laughs> thing, right? What the hell? There's chips involved, so... Just give it to the craps guys. That doesn't make any sense at all. No, that's crazy. All right, well, uh, WPT co-host Vince Van Patten will play the lead role in a new poker movie called Walk to Vegas that also will feature appearances from Mike Sexton, Phil Locke, Antonio Esfandiari, and Jennifer Tilly. Uh, Van Patten's character accepts a prop bet to walk from Los Angeles through Death Valley to Las Vegas wearing a suit to win $1 million. And that's not too much different from the actual prop bet in 2016 that Dan Bilzerian won by bicycling from L.A. to Vegas. You know, I read the story. The most shocking part of it was that it said Vince Van Patten was a pro poker player. (laughs) I mean, he's had like six tournament caches since 1995, none since 2015. Uh, I don't know. He's won 104 grand in tournaments. I mean, yeah, he could play cash games and be a pro, but I just thought that was shocking. Uh, and then the story says other poker greats. I'm like, other? <laughs> Vince Van Patten is not a poker great. Okay, he hosts a show on TV that doesn't make him a poker great. Otherwise, we'd be poker greats. I mean, what the hell? 
Oh, man. CalvinAir.com needs to get their facts straight. Yesterday, he said, uh, hey, uh, I was at the coffee shop, and I met met a woman who said her husband was a professional gambler. (laughs) I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, what what kind of gambling does he do professionally? He's like, oh, she didn't say. And I'm like, all right, here's the thing. You could could wager $1 and call yourself a professional gambler. That's right. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything, right? There's no standards to it. So, I don't know. Um... Certainly, he plays more than we do. So, whatever. yeah. No. But uh, I, I thought we learned our lesson with poker movies. Apparently not. Although I don't know how much poker is actually going to yeah, be. Yeah, I was going to say like this, this is probably more a prop bet movie than a poker movie. But yeah. uh, although I, I, there's probably going to be a scene at some point where he's at the table and the because of, oh, that's where always these prop bets come up, right? Right. You're just sitting around their board between hands and go, hey, I think you could do that. All right, how much? So, yeah, there probably will be some poker. Yeah, that'll be the first scene. Those guys will be sitting around the table with him, and then he walks across the desert, and that's the rest of the movie. And it's, it's it'll probably end at a poker. Yes. Yeah, he'll walk in all tattered, like, you know, like Castaway, you know, Tom <laughs> Hanks. I have created fire, or whatever the hell he says. <laughs> all right, so I think uh, I think when I was researching the Bill Zarian thing, actually, I never, I, I don't remember hearing about that. I'm sure probably I did. I put it on my mind but because there's so many prop bets out there anyhow yeah um then we got one more to talk about on the show but uh i would i would do this prop bet it's about 300 miles i think is what bill zarian bike now i don't know if he went the same way um they made it clear in this article that uh, the prop bet was for van Patten's character to walk through death valley where it's 120 degrees during the day in a suit so but I mean, I don't. There's. Well, I guess we'll wait and see the movie if there's a time limit on it. But uh, this seems like a fairly, I don't want to say easy, but an attainable way to become a millionaire. You said 300 miles. Yeah. All right. So on a, any good day, like a power walker or somebody who, like trains for like the three day, any good day they'll walk maybe 12 to 16 miles. Uh, you know, to train for you know because they have to walk 20 miles a day in the in the actual. Uh, the actual event. So, if you walked say twenty miles a day, and obviously it's not somebody who's in shape on this because it's like a poker movie, and it's, that's why it's a bet because you think he's not in shape. So, even if you walk twenty miles a day, you know that's fifteen days straight of walking twenty miles. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's going to do that. So, I think it, talking about a month walking, you know, he's not Forrest Gump. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do this. Well, first of all, it's a movie, so he can. No, I know, but I mean, uh, talking about plot <laughs> holes. And no, stuff. I, yeah, I mean, bicycling is one thing. You can coast. People hike the Appalachian Trail for months at a time. Now, granted, that's not 106 degrees. You're not in a suit. I mean, but... yeah, I know, but you've got a backpack. You're stopping at places where they have showers, and and you know, you're going with friends, and you've got a buddy, and you bring food and all that. They're making it sound like he's, you know, he's walking across the desert in a suit. I mean, it's just. Well, it also doesn't say that he can't have a backpack and stop for the <laughs> night in camp. And are there camps in Death Valley? I don't know. I don't really. Well, I, I don't. It's not 106 at night there, so I mean, you, can... <laughs> you just it's said it sounds like an easy time. way. It's not an easy way to make a million dollars. I didn't say easy. I said attainable. Okay, attainable. All right, you're right. You're right. Attainable. <laughs> Jeez. Now, the worst part of it is 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 the suit part, which is probably why it's fun, right? But, yeah. Uh, I, but you know that's the funny thing is when you think of Vince Van Patten, you think of him in a suit, so it's like perfectly typecast for this movie. Now I wonder if that means you had to wear like suit shoes because that would be yeah. a real killer, right? I was that's... thinking that too. Like, does he have to wear like you know like these pinching shoes, or can he wear like walking sneakers and stuff? You know, walking shoes. Yeah, I mean, I, I do five miles every morning in this brutal uh, humidity heat here in florida and i've done 10 miles on days where i'm real excited so that's not a big deal to me but but i'm in athletic shoes right i'm yeah. not in my suit yeah and uh, you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt probably well yeah. true yeah, yeah. But, but even if i was like in a suit suit i think that would be but it, it, the shoes would be the killer the I mean, shoes, if I yeah. had sneakers uh, i i think i could i think this is attainable for me if i had sneakers business casual but i would say i would i would try this though i would try this all right, I'm going to offer to pay you one million. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but it, it it's it's interesting because I'm wondering, like, will this walk? Like, will he? I'm just trying to figure out what the movie plot would be. Like, is he going to have like delusions? 
You know, is he going to start seeing mirages and stuff, or is he just going to think about it, reflect on the life that he's led as a gambler, or you know what what this what this is going to be? He's that's going to true. be on the screen it's a long like time. Castaway, right? You know, yeah. people made a big deal when Castaway came out that that's a tough role for an actor to to pull off, being the only one on screen for about two hours, which Plus, is really good. Yeah, there was twenty minutes of that movie where there was no dialogue. 20 yeah, minutes exactly. straight without even saying a word, and yet he had chemistry with a volleyball, you know? <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you have characters that show up along the way? Is it, yeah, a lot of flashbacks to his life and the like, decisions that he made to get him to this point? Um, I, or, you know, there's some coyotes that attack? <laughs> I don't know. I wonder yeah, if there's, I think, yeah. I honestly wonder if it seems like uh, poker people like backed this movie, like a lot of poker money is in this movie or something, right. like you know producers or something. And um, I wonder if it's going to go like straight to DVD or straight to on demand or something. Or, <laughs> I can't imagine it getting a, a you know nationwide release in all the theaters. You know, walk to Vegas, but that would be cool. I would watch it just because you know we know these people and. Now we're sort of speculating on what it is, so I'd like to see exactly what this plot entails other than just walking across that valley. <laughs> it would be awesome if he ran into Clark Griswold, you know, <laughs> trying to find a tow truck driver. That would be... Oh, man. I would like that into the screenplay myself, but... That would be pretty awesome. <laughs> All right, well, speaking of prop bets and Antonio S. Foundiari, uh he says he's getting 35 to 1 odds to box pint-sized comedian Kevin Hart... Um, without releasing the amount of their wager, uh, Esfandiari tells Card Player Magazine the bout uh, between the two 39-year-olds will last three uh, three-minute rounds and will likely be held in Los Angeles in March. So MMA timing, you know, three rounds of three minutes. Uh, I'm gonna speak up for those who are vertically challenged here and say I take offense at your description of Kevin Hart as pint-sized. <laughs> Next time, please use the term homunculus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess technically pint is like, what, oh, 16 ounces. It's not nice. It's not yeah. nice calling that. Uh, so who do we think is going to win this thing? I mean, I read the article. Antonio is going to obviously train for it. He's never boxed in his life. Um, Kevin Hart's uh, very strong, very fit, very fast. Uh, they're the same age. Antonio's got weight on him and size, but that doesn't always necessarily – if you don't know what you're doing – you get your ass kicked. So yeah, and I, I and Antonio said that that's where the the lopsided odds came from is that that Kevin Hart does box all the time and is in shape, and Antonio does plays poker, and makes prop bets. So, yeah, I'm totally going uh, with Kevin Hart on this. I think. Yeah, and then the height difference would be really. You know, it's kind of like you know that's why you like those uh, those little tiny shortstops always get on base right because yeah. the the strike zone is really tiny um for them so i mean i think it's kind of hard to it's not that antonio is super tall but he's it's probably six feet right yeah close probably to, close to six feet uh, so i mean and then uh kevin hart not pint size five foot four though <laughs> that's that's a lot of reaching down to to hit your target especially if he's moving quickly so um, you know, I again, I, we, we talk about this though. I don't, I don't really get into these prop bets too often. I, I think it's interesting to hear about them and talk about them, but this might be one I want to watch. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd see this through. I'd watch this. I, and you know, Antonio's pulled off some amazing things with prop bets and with just his ability to do stuff. You know, he doesn't take anything lightly. Uh, obviously, a fantastic magician, fantastic poker player. Pretty much everything he does that he wants to do, he succeeds at. So I'm not going to underestimate him here. I just think that it's a short, too short of a time to turn it around and become a boxer or somebody who can effectively, uh, you know, expose the height difference between the two of them and use it like a real pro would if they were somehow boxing each other uh, as two pros. But in this case, I think Kevin Hart's gonna, it's gonna win. He's gonna last three minutes with him, I think, and I think he's gonna, he's probably gonna outbox him. That's the other thing. I, I don't think the details have been released as to whether or not you lose the bet if you if you don't get enough points or do you have to knock them out or what you know what's the deal i i don't know so i do they would probably have a well i mean if it's if it's going to be somewhere public it's probably going to have a go through all the whole licensing and everything right i don't think it can just be a i don't know and like, it's a scoring is what i'm saying i think kevin hart will kill him in scoring I, I think he's well, just. Yeah, but I mean it's also so it's interesting we're talking about antonio's challenge but there's also a challenge for kevin hart right you got to punch up 
I don't know what's actually harder, punching down or punching up. Well, body blows count. You know what I mean? So if, if you destroy him, hitting him in the body blows, he's going yeah, he's he's to keep getting Antonio. He can't punch straight forward and body blow him. I mean, that's that's the uh, one of those little... Well, how, 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 I mean, how big do you think six inches to, I mean, he's only, it's not like it's Andre the Giant against an infant. I mean, this, he could still hit his waist standing next to him. You could still hit him in the face. Punching up, you make it sound like he's got to stand on a stool and jump. Oh, that would be interesting too. I'd watch that. I'd watch that too, actually, yeah. Uh, no, I think that body bowls will get Antonio to slump. You keep wailing on him in the gut, and you're faster than him. He's gonna. That's how you knock him out is body blows. You get him down, and he's got his hands down. Then you just got to pop him once in the face. I really think – I mean, I've watched a lot of boxing in my life, so I'm, I'm pretty sure it's fun to yard, he's going to get crutched. Well, I've seen all 17 Rocky movies. And <laughs> just saying, Sly is short, and he won the world championship like 18 times. So And without a stool. Right. <laughs> So, but he was punching up. He punched up against that Russian. If he yeah, dies, he dies. was like super tall. And he still beat him by body blows. So <laughs> I'm going with Kevin Hart on this one. He's he's a man. Well, I mean, it's not that who's going to win or lose. That's why it's 35 to 1 odds, right? So right. so it's just a match. But he's got yeah. money on it. I mean, obviously, Antonio wouldn't divulge what he did. Well, no, I mean, he's still a money. winner or a loser. I mean, he's got to win to collect. But, yeah. uh, like, but it, it's, you know, it's it's... You can't just say I'm going with Kevin Hart. Of course, you're going with Kevin Hart. But <laughs> if you're putting down the money, then you gotta you gotta lay one to thirty five on Kevin Hart, and then see how excited you are about him. Right? Yeah, I'm not making that bet because I'm not going to pay you thirty five for my one dollar if we decide to have a bet with each other. Because <laughs> all you're risking is a dollar. That's not cool. But uh, <laughs> I still think. And they said the more realistic gods are like fifteen to one. Um, yeah. But because of this, you know, it's not really a boxing match. It's thirty five to one. But uh, all right. Uh, any updates? We have six more upcoming Annie Up Poker Tour stops with five opportunities to play your way onto the cover of Annie Up Magazine and more to be announced soon. Here's where we're going next. The Annie Up Poker Tour at Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, Nevada, August 16th to the 26th. Deep Stack Series at the Venetian Las Vegas, September 3rd to the 23rd. Pearl River Poker Open at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 25th to November 4th. Viquiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, March 25th to the 31st. And I made sure that's how you say it. I actually watched a video about the property the other day. So it's Viquiva, yeah. Uh, Antioch World Championship and the Antioch NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California in July of 2019. And then the Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino also near Phoenix, November 11th to the 16th, uh, of course, in 2019. So very exciting, man. What a... I love our schedule, just growing and, and spreading and just variety. I love it. Yeah, and having some good conversations with some other rooms, so hopefully we'll have more to announce pretty soon. And um, also remember, if you're joining us at uh, the Atlantis and Reno coming up here, uh, the block of discount rooms is limited, so you need to call and get your room pretty soon. And I believe the discount code for that is MANTI18. Yeah. Uh, but if you go to antiupmagazine.com slash Atlantis, it's there. And the number of the call and everything. And get your hotel room. It's a gorgeous resort. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, our 2019 Antiup Poker Cruise schedule includes a 16-night Panama Canal crossing, an 8-night Southern Caribbean adventure, and two shorter weekend cruises. Also, this is the last weekend to book our upcoming Tampa sailing October 29th to Mexico and Key West at our advertised rate, so book by Monday morning. Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training and a quick-reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more information, visit com. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we'll send them something cool. I'm going to try something different with Adam's last name this week. I'm going to say Adam Bowergoin. Oh, good thing. Could be Adam Bowergoin. I don't know. We always say Bergen, right? Bergen? Or Borgoin. Borgoin. I'm going to say Bowergoin. <laughs> he says, I was, I was playing one two no limit hold'em at Mohegan Sun. Another gun straddles for four bucks. It folds to middle position two, who raises a 12. The cutoff calls, and I'm on the button with the king ten of spades. I call, knowing that I'm playing for the flush and will need to smash the flop with a strong draw to keep going. I called because the razor had proved himself a weak player, and the cutoff folds to any post-flop pressure. 
The Straddler calls, everyone else folds. The pot is $40-ish. The flop is Ace of Spades, Nine of Spades, King of Hearts. It checks to me, and I bet 25 bucks. It folds to the Razor, who shoves his remaining $60. The cutoff folds. See, I told you, he says. Uh, and it's back to me. I have to call $60 more to win a total of 125 bucks. After some time, I say, probably a bad call, but I'm going for it. I call. He turns over King 8 offsuit. I hit my spade on the turn and take down the pot. One player at the table, clearly a regular, told me, and I, I want to make sure I said that right, clearly a regular, not clearly irregular. I don't want to misunderstand what I said. It could be both. could but be yeah. both, but at this point, we're thinking he's regular. Uh, he says, nothing bad about that call, or nothing was bad about that call, or nothing about that call was bad. My eyes are blurry. Uh, he says, uh, he elaborated, and I see where he's coming from. My thought was that my opponent had had a better kicker, but then again, I hit the flop about as hard as I could. Thoughts? Yeah, I guess uh, I, I, I'm confused as to why Adam thought this was a tough spot. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he had a pair. Obviously, I, he's worth by the kicker, and that's fine. Um, but you had the, the spades to back you up. And not only the spades to back you up, but the nut spades. So, yep. Um, I, I would make this call all day long, every day, without much thought. And yep. maybe, maybe I'm a bad player for that, but uh, this seems like a good spot at this point. So, and the other thing is that I think he got his own little write up here wrong, if I remember correctly. He says it checked to him, and we bet twenty five. The razor shoves his remaining sixty, which means it's only thirty five more to us anyway to win one twenty five, not sixty to win. So even oh. if it was sixty, that's still more than two to one on your money with. Not only another king could be your out if you don't know ahead of time if you think he has an ace, but right. also the ten is an out, and then the spades are outs. You know, I mean, you've got a ton of outs with more than two to one on your money here, uh, with two cards to come. I make that call all the time. Now, if it's true that it wasn't sixty more and it was just thirty-five, you're getting four to one on your money, basically a little less than four to one. I'm totally calling that all day and twice on Sunday. So, no, no problems here. I agree with the irregular slash regular player next to you. <laughs> now let me ask you this: If the cards were face up and our opponent didn't have king eight but had king jack, say, so he was ahead at the time, do you still make that call? I still make that call because there's a real good shot that will split the pot as well. Right. You know, there's an ace on the board. He has king jack. We have kings and an ace ten. He has kings and an ace jack. But you know, another pair comes and boom, you've already split. Uh, a queen comes. You know, you got aces, king. Uh, you got. Uh, I'm sorry. Kings, ace, you know, queen, and then who knows? So, I mean, at that point, yeah, I got the spades, I got possible ties, I got possible wins with a ten. So, I still make the call, and especially if it's thirty-five dollars more to call. There's no way I'm folding for thirty-five bucks there. And that's why I brought it up. I think that's a good way of explaining to Adam. I mean, even if you're face up and you're losing at the time, uh, it's still a good call at that point because you've got so many outs to probably the favorite. I mean, I haven't ran it through a anything right now because I just made up that scenario, yeah. but. You're probably the favorite at that point, so or, or at uh, least a flip. But to me, I think thirty-five to win one twenty-five with the nut nut spades. Even if you even have that pair, you're still going in on a spade draw for thirty-five bucks. You know, you've got the nut hand that if it gets there, um, and then if you were right, you know that he had an ace, you still had the tens for outs. It, it's I think it's a no-brainer. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast.idiotmagazine.com and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antioch Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. You know, I did that whole intro there with my eyes closed. <laughs> I, I memorized it. So, uh, yeah, see me on the street. You have to collect on that prop bet, sorry. Yeah, if you see me on the street want me to say it to you blindfolded, I can do it. If you do it while wearing a suit, then I'll be... <laughs> it depends on my shoes. All right, this comes from Mike Arnold. He says, we're in a tournament at a Pennsylvania casino. We have 10 seat tables, so it sometimes can be a bit crowded. Seat 10, who was not in the hand, was having an animated conversation with someone across the table. While doing so, he accidentally knocked four $1,000 or 1,000 unit chips off of the stack of seat 9, who also was not in the hand, and the chips went onto the floor. Seat 9 went to retrieve his chips when the dealer announced that he would call the floor to take care of it. The floor came over, picked up the chips, and told Seat 9 that since the chips hit the floor, they were out of play. The four chips represented about 25% of his stack. I've played there for about eight years and have never heard of this rule, nor had anyone else at the table. 
Seat 9 did nothing wrong and was penalized, while Seat 10's actions were, weren't even addressed by the floor. I've had chips... Uh, I'm sorry. I've had chips stack, uh, stacks knocked over by dealers while sitting next to them, though they didn't end up on the floor. If there were only a few players left in the tournament, it would be easy to just count the chip stacks and subtract them from the total number of chips to check. But in this case, there were about 25 players remaining. Is this a TDA rule? House rule? Bad house rule? All right, Elliot says, TDA rule 63, chips out of view and in transit, says players may not hold or transport chips in a way that takes them out of view. A player who does so will forfeit the chips and may be disqualified. The forfeited chips will be taken out of play. The TDA recommends the house provide racks or bags to transport chips when needed. TDA rule number one, floor decisions. The best interest of the game and fairness are top priorities in decision-making. Unusual circumstances occasionally dictate that common-sense decisions in the interest of fairness take priority over technical rules. Floor decisions are final. There is no specific rule other than the ones quoted here that apply to a situation where one player puts another player's chips on the floor intentionally or not. Rule 63 doesn't apply here since the player didn't move or hide any of their own chips. It was another player. Rule 2 covering hand protection uh, doesn't apply to protecting one's chips. That is just not reasonable to expect uh, the players to always be actively holding on to their stacks. Besides, this would prevent chips uh, players from complying with Rule 25, cards and chips kept visible. Rule 63 was misapplied here, and Rule 1 was ignored. Making a decision without getting any input from the dealer and the players was wrong. Making a decision that ignored common sense and was also ridiculously unfair was very wrong. When a player sends another player's chips to the floor, these chips cannot be taken out of play. What would stop players from accidentally, on purpose, sending their neighbor's chips to the ground whenever possible? This becomes a rule of chip leaders everywhere beware. That's why there is no TDA rule for this, and I'm pretty sure there is no house rule either. This was just a poorly trained supervisor making a poorly reasoned decision. Yeah, he said exactly what I was going to say, so I, I totally agree. It's like all you got to do is reach over and smack somebody's chips off and go, oh, sorry, they're out of play now. I, now I've got a bigger stack than you. I'm all in. It's It's ridiculous. I, 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 we probably should have kept a list of the most egregious call of floors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious where this would rank because it's got to be pretty close to the top. I mean, again, I'm a pretty uh, mellow guy at the table. I will let rulings go that, that seem bad to me, but I think I would act out on this one. Me too. I, I think if I asked the floor that, I would probably say the same thing Elliot said. So what's stopping me from reaching across the table and hitting his chips and knocking him off? If I know they're out and i nothing happens to me yep. right? no, no punishment to me and uh, he would probably give me some bs answer because that's the kind of floor this guy is right and then i would literally reach over to seat 10 and knock his chips off the table <laughs> i would do that hopefully not wearing an annie up logo on your shirt while you do it um <laughs> that, that proved the point of how ridiculous yeah. and absolutely ridiculous this ruling is. And, and there's there's video there's eye in the sky go to the eye in the sky and see how it happened and count the chips there and then say hey you know what you better hold up this tournament because i'm just as important as everybody else in this room in this tournament and you need to make it right i should not be 25 percent of my stack because this goober next to me is is gesturing with his hands that's not right i would i would file a huge protest huge protest and talk to the manager of the actual room that's insane well, and then the way this came down, too, I mean, obviously, I, I'm going to make an assumption here that seat 10 is not the uh, player that actually thinks of others <laughs> above himself with the way he's acting already. Right. But, wow, can you imagine the rest of the tournament having to sit next to a guy when you, your boisterous hand-waving just took away 25% of his chips? Oh, that's it's and just nothing happened to you? That would be really uncomfortable. It's sickening. That's just sickening. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's not like you can say, here's 4,000 of my chips to replace yours, right? You right. can't do that. Right. I mean, you could buy the guy a beer or something, maybe. I mean, I don't know what you do at that point to not make that uncomfortable. But like I said, the guy probably doesn't care. But um, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Well, to cheer us up, we can complete O'Malley's move today. Does that make you feel better? Sure. <laughs> All right. Here comes part one. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week, and for the next several weeks, we'll be playing $2-$3 No Limit Hold'em at Harvey's Casino in Lake Tahoe. This is a decently soft seat. Thanks, Vic G, for the heads up on that one. There are a lot of tourists and not a ton of solid players. 
We're in the small blind and post the $2. The big blind posts. Under the gun calls, we get three other callers and look down in the small blind with 275 at the ace of spades, eight of spades. We are down $25 and have been playing for about four hours. There's no real urgency going on here, but I don't want to raise and play this trap hand out of position. We put in the dollar and the big blind checks. The table has been pretty timid pre-flop. There's about $15 in the pot after the rake, and the flop is the eight of clubs, four of diamonds, tray of clubs. This is a decent flop for our hand. I think if anyone had an overpair, they would have raised pre-flop. We lead out for $10 into the $15 pot. The big blind folds, but the under the gun makes it $30 to go. This player is loose and switches between aggressive and passive. He's been getting hit in the head with the deck recently, plays any two cards, and loves trapping. He started the hand with $400. It's folded around to us, and we make a raise. We bump it to $100, leaving us about $175 behind. The under the gun casually announces all in. So, it's $175 to us. What's the move? Uh, I'm not seeing a lot to like here. Uh, under the gun players typically have stronger hands, so pocket pairs that beat our eights are clearly in that range, even if he didn't raise pre-flop. Remember, he likes to trap. Uh, and additionally, we're told he likes to play trash hands, and this is a board that has enough trash to close a dump. What are we beating here? Call me tight, uh, but I don't want to risk the rest of my stack on the hope that he has nothing and won't improve past nothing. <laughs> Enough trash to close a dump. I worked on that for a while. I need to work on it more. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm starting to wonder if we should just sort of react to these things rather than script what we're saying about it. Uh, I tend to lean toward a fold when I don't have at least two pair and it costs me a huge stack. Um... It can't be a draw, and I don't like to go broke in an unraised pot. So I don't like the re-raise to $100 either, by the way. I just wanted to say that. Um, he could have anything like 8 9 um, but I don't know if I want to go broke with one pair. So I'm going to fold. Here comes part two. Hello again. This one wasn't too terribly difficult. In fact, I snap-called here. The biggest clue was that this opponent loved trapping, and if he had flopped a set, he would have simply called my flop bet and sprung his trap later in the hand. I will admit that our heart sank a bit when our opponent announced, I got you, and confidently tabled the Jack of Spades, Eight of Diamonds. We table our top top, and after a beautiful turn river runout of the Ace of Diamonds and the Ace of Hearts, we double up. So, did I act too haphazardly on this one? Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, even though someone is getting hit in the head with the deck, it doesn't mean they are invincible. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, this is clearly a must-need-to-be-at-the-table-to-make-this-read-O'Malley's move because yeah. I stand by my pre-result opinion. I suppose I should have given more thought to the possibility that he could have, had a, could have had a weaker eight than we had, but there are still a ton of trash hands and nice hands that have us crushed there. Yeah, I can't ever imagine snap calling here, especially in a casino, not like a home game where I know the players better. So right, that, right. that's remarkable that's to me. That yeah, yeah, remarkable. But uh, hey... You know, that's why O'Malley's uh, making the big bucks. <laughs> All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something uh, from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And I read that entire thing with my eyes wide open. <laughs> uh, all right, this week comes from uh, Mark Hooch Horuchi. Marucci? Uh it's up to you. It's gonna have that it's gonna have a, a hooch part in there, right? If his nickname's Hooch, right? Yeah, we're so, just gonna call him Hooch. Alright. Well that's obviously what he goes by, so yeah. So um, all right. Uh, and you're gonna love this, Chris. It is limit. Four eight limit, and he says Chris's favorite, right? Why am I wait, why am I doing the hand then? Uh, all right, so we play at the gardens out in LA, and uh, he says we are the small blind. There are four callers, including the button. And we look down at Ace of Hearts, Ace of Spades. Easy choice, right? Yeah, I mean, I still think you raise. I, I didn't give you a chance to do your, your patented fold. Oh, sorry. Uh, if they were in some sort of super satellite and there was only one spot left before you were in the money, maybe. But, uh, no, I think you got to raise here. And it's limit, so let's raise the minimum. <laughs> 
You said that so enthusiastic. I know. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely got a raise here. So uh, that's what our hero did. And uh, all four callers come along, too. This sounds like every 4-8 limit game I've ever been in. Yes, it is. The uh, flop is the Ten of Hearts. Nine of clubs, four of diamonds, and we are first act. I'll bet. All you got to do in limit, right? That's it. Yep, you got to get your money in when you can. So, I mean, it's possible somebody did a set or two pair here, but uh, can't be scared of that. So, because we can't lose our stack, we can only lose another bet. So. Yep. Um. All right, and that's what our hero does. And uh, one caller, and then the button raises. And it's back to us. Okay, so I'm a little rusty with my limit. <laughs> but uh, maybe if we raise again, we'll get that one caller out because it's two bets cold to him. Um, but there's a lot of money in the middle, so if he's drawing, he may still call. Um, doesn't seem like that person wants to raise, so I don't know. There's a there's a there's a little part of you know that little thing on my shoulder saying call call um but maybe that's just a bird i don't know uh so maybe maybe we just call i mean i i think you raise try to get that other guy out and go heads up with this guy and hope that he's just raising to get a free card kind of thing because he's in position so i remember reading that in one of the books uh it might have been that full tilt poker book but if you think somebody's trying to make that move on you they're trying to get a free card then raise and not make it a free card and then get the other guy out and go heads up with him um so all right, I'm going to change my. I'm going to raise again. I'm going to obviously my cards are going to be basically face up when I do this, but uh, it's limit, so it really doesn't matter. So if I can get that one guy out and do it while it's still a cheap street, I think I'm going to do it. No, I'm glad you finally worked your way there because that's exactly what you have to do right, here. Thank because, you. Well, and you said everything right. One, well, we want to get that third guy out, and when it's two bets cold there, that makes it much more difficult for him to stay in. So that way we get heads up with uh, with the guy uh, with our other opponent. Um, and the other thing too is this is a classic free card bet here. I mean, we don't know what he has right now, but you know, when you're on the button and limit, it's always good to raise there and, and cast some doubt. And if you get some people to just call or fold from it, that's great. And if you are on a draw, then it gives you the opportunity to get a free card. So I'm not buying it right now. So if I raise now and I get re-raised, now that's a different story, right? Yeah. Now, now we know either he's a um, ice cold water in his veins draw player um or he actually has something that's better than us and then then we'll know but if we just call now we're in the dark so we we absolutely need to raise here so i agree all right um all right uh our hero decides to just call and the player in the middle still folds so all right so <laughs> that's good but uh we, i don't think we really know where we are now so and i guess we'll find out all right, the turn is the seven of spades. So our board now is ten of hearts, nine of clubs, four of diamonds, and we are first to act. Well, that's kind of a good card for us in that, one, we know no flush is getting there. Two, usually guys who are raising looking for a free card are doing it when they're open-ended here. They're not going to do it with, say, I mean, I mean, it could be eight jack, I guess. That could be open-ended, so that's kind of a bad card. I was thinking of it as seven eight or queen jack, but... Um, I mean, I suppose he could have called a raise with Jack-8. Um, but at the same time, this pot has been built pretty decently. It's kind of wet in the sense that there's three straight cards there. So um, I don't mind just check-calling, check-calling two streets and seeing if I win, to be honest with you. Yeah, or we calling, kind of, calling. this is kind of where the the, the Choose Your Road Adventure books, we when they chose that, <laughs> we decided to go to page 47. Right. Um, now we got to finish. We got to go to forty-eight, right? So, um, it, had we raised on the last street, we would have had a better idea of where we are, right? So, if our opponent had just called, that would indicate to me that he's on a draw, or it was a probing bet of some sort. So, I'd be a little bit more hesitant about betting now because this is one of the only cards that could have got there to complete a, a, a draw, right? Um, but we didn't do that, so now we're kind of in the dark. Um, so if he wasn't a draw and a hit, you know, I don't know if you want to bet now and then raise, be raised now, because then at that point we got to figure out whether he has a straight. Because he has a straight, we can't can't win, we can't catch up. Right. But if it's something else and we give a free card and then he takes a free card, that's not good. I mean, I guess we could do that, and then if if he checks behind, then we have to bet the river to hope he gets some value out of it. 
but we're kind of a, kind of in no man's land here. I would have liked to raise um, to re-raise in the last one. So I guess the way we played it now, um, I, I think yeah, I think you might be right. I think we neutered ourselves. I think we got to just check call and hope to win this. Yeah, unfortunate with aces in a limit because you know it's about the number of bets you collect here. So we've just kind of cut off two rounds of betting for ourselves. And you're right about the, it depends on what we did last street to dictate what we do this street. If, if we really felt like our raise gets called by him because he's on a draw, well, now you're going to check call anyway, because you think a draw might've gotten there and you, you don't want to just fold one bet. You know what I mean? So you're going to check call, check call, and then be done with it. Whereas if he had Ray raised you, you know, then it's like, okay, well, he's only got like ace 10 maybe. Now I think I can afford a bet out here because then we'll see if he raises me again. If he just calls, then we know we're ahead. You know, so there, it dictates a lot what, what what you did earlier to what's going on now. It's the story you're telling. And the story you're telling now by just calling is that you don't have a lock on this hand. And so he may be drawing or not. We don't know. So now you got to be cautious. So I agree with you. Let's let's just check call. All right, um, our hero decides to check, uh, fearing a raise from the button. He says maybe he has uh, three tens or three nines at this point. Um, right now, I'm not liking this uh, flop. Um, actually, I think he meant board, right? But it is limited, and everybody calls everything. Um, and the button does bet. Okay, well, here's what's going to be sick, is if, if like we just call and then he gets there on the river instead or four cards straight or something. That's going to be sickening. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to call. I mean, I've got aces. It's not exactly the wettest board of all time. So right. I'm just yep. going to call and it's one bet, one bet, you know, you're going to get too hurt here too much. Um, and by the fact that you just called on the flop, that means you, if you're in the blues in the sand, you saved a bet. So, you know, what? I'm just going to call. There's no way I'm not calling with aces. He got an overpair to the board. And now that he's just betting, I mean, yeah, he might be betting for value because he made it straight. But in my mind, we could still be ahead here. And for the amount of bets that are out there and all we have to call is one bet, you know, a double bet. But still, go ahead. I'm calling. No, I think you I think you got to call here. I, I can't find any justification for raising here because he could have hit the straight. He could have. I mean, it, it's interesting that our hero hasn't mentioned 10-9 as a whole thing. That guy could have easily had 10-9. Yeah, uh, easily. If that's the case, that we have a you know, out to uh, catch up to him. So, um, but, but raising here, I don't think it accomplishes anything. So, um, and folding is too tight, I think, because it could be it's limit. So he's all over the board on what he could have. So, yeah. and it's only yeah. going to cost another $16 to close out this hand. Um, so I got a call, I think. Yes. Yeah. You know, the only real option. So, um, all right, that's what our hero does. The river is the six of hearts. The final board is ten of hearts, nine of clubs, four of diamonds, seven of spades, six of hearts. Kind of what you were scared about, right? Yeah, I knew it. And uh, so I'm going to guess that we're going to check here, right? Oh, yeah. Just check call <laughs> and hope he doesn't have a random eight in his hand, like ten yeah. eight. That was going to be sick, right? It is sick. So, All right, so that's what we do. But the button checks behind. Nice. Wait, what? He checked? Our hero says, uh, he says, there's no flushes or full houses out there. There are three straights. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. There are straights and three um, three of kinds, obviously. I was dumbfounded by the check since I was first to act. I flip over my aces and say, you got three tens? And he says, no, and turns over with the queen of clubs, eight of clubs. Oh. Or the so straight. He has the straight, and he, wow, this is, this. Is, so he did it with a gutter. He did all this with a gutter. And then gets open ended on the turn, and then checks. That's why do you what? How does he even play this hand? He's played it in like the exact reverse fashion. <laughs> First of all, if you have queen eight, you don't play it, and you're in position. So why is he playing? I mean, I can see you're in position, but it's limit. Then he flops a gutter and raises our bet after we raised pre flop. So here's the reason why you are supposed to raise there on the flop again. Yes, exactly. Now, right. I don't know if it would change anything because... Yeah, you probably would have called one bet and then gotten there. That's clearly why you need to do it, so... But uh, we probably lose more money that way because he gets to... On the turn, now he gets open-ended. He's not going anywhere. And then, you know... Oh, man. That's crazy. Well, I mean, I will say this. Uh, I uh, I see a lot of people playing Queen 8 in limit, uh, in position. I mean, give him, give him credit for that. He was in position. Um, also, he knew he was closing out the betting there too, so there wasn't going to be another bet. So, but he raised. 
Well, no. Oh, you mean uh, oh, pre-flop? You mean pre-flop? I'm sorry. Pre-flop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and who knows? There might have been a, an in-house promotion going on or something like that, where people always play this kind of stuff. Anything that could get you a straight flush, right? It's gonna you're gonna try to be in there. So, um, and then the flop. I I don't really criticize the flop bet for him at all because or. Uh, Wait, we bet, and then... We uh, bet. And the other thing, too, is he wasn't closing out the betting preflop because if blind's behind him to act, he's on the button. Well, we're the small blind, so... Oh, that's right. I guess we would have... No, no. He, yeah, he closed it out by calling, so... We we were in we were in the blinds, were we? We were small blind, yes. Oh, we were small blind. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I thought we were yeah. in middle position. Okay, so we were in yeah. small blind. Okay. So, yeah, so he was closing out there. All right. But then I, I really don't fault... I actually kind of really, really like his raise on the flop here. I mean, yeah, it's a gutter, but... It's limit, so you know when you get somebody betting from the small blind, you can kind of narrow the range down to probably a big pair, right? And that's exactly what you don't want to see when you have a single pair of yeah, aces, kings, queens like that is someone raising, um, and so it puts doubt in your mind. It put doubt in our mind, right? But doubt in our hero's mind here. So, and then um, even though it's a gutter, I mean you still you're still this is a classic free card thing, right? So I mean it's just it's usually, bad. <laughs> it's bad usually it's an open ender or a, a flush draw rather than a gutter, but it's still it works. So um, and it's just interesting though that um, um, that he bet again when he picked up his actual draw. At that point, that's where I would have checked, right? Yeah, I would check there to get my my true free card now. Yep. And then when I hit my straight, now I bet, and I'm like, so I don't know. But it, that's what's really confusing, because I'm pretty sure, am I wrong? He had the nuts on the river, right? No. Seven, nine, what was the bigger straight than that? Oh, he had an eight, he had the eight in his hand, right? Oh, he had just an eight, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. I'm sorry. I was thinking he went all the way to queen, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, okay, so, all right, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess it still is the nuts, right? It's... But yeah, because Jack, a Jack, a Jack eight is better. It's a higher straight. Jack, There's no Jack. I don't think he had Jack eight. It's Queen eight. So yeah, so he doesn't have the nuts. But That's still, right. you don't bet. The guy checks to you again, yeah, and no, no I one's mean, checking the Jack eight there. Yeah, you. how do you so, not bet? Eight splitting the pot um, at this point. So there's nothing else out there. No flushes out there, right? So it's a very odd check on the end there. I mean, maybe he didn't realize what he had. I don't know. He had why, why would he raise? I mean, he had to realize he had a straight. He raises on the flop after we raise pre-flop with a gutter. Then he picks up a draw and bets out again. And now he gets there. Doesn't realize he gets there. No, he's got to realize he has a four-card straight there. And then he checks. So he had nothing the whole way, and then checks when he gets something. And he, it's not like he's going to hope for a bluff because he's last to act. Uh, <laughs> man, that was just played horrible. Oh man, well. It, it wasn't played horribly. They're horrible. No, at the end. I mean, and, at the end. At the end. Yeah, it was yeah, at, and it was bad. Yeah, he cost himself eight bucks. Although I don't know if we call that right. Yeah, I don't. I probably do. I probably do. I probably just call. I mean, it it's bad. one more bet, I guess. I mean, you have to at that point. I mean, I know you have up, to save so, yeah. bets and all that, but I, I don't yeah, know, yeah. I think, I think I, you're right. You have to call there. So yeah, he did cost himself eight bucks there. So. Well, Mark, as a consolation, you have a really cool nickname. <laughs> you do. You know. I, we should have called the villain Turner in this whole thing. <laughs> Could have been Turner and Hooch. Love that movie. Love that movie. Uh, I love how you're just calling our listeners dogs now. So. Well, I'm sorry, but he was a dog well, in the hand. The At the end, he was a dog in the hand. So. I'm Chris Cassandra. <laughs> we'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.